Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. All right, let's talk about training. Uh, we're going to be at HITS in Scottsdale, Arizona this year, 2020, August 18th through the 21st. Eric and I are actually going to be instructing. Uh, so head over to HITS K9, letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. Don't wait till the last minute like I know all of you people do. Head over and get signed up now before the prices increase. RayAllen.com. If you own a dog, train dogs of any sort, pet dogs, working dogs, any dog you could have, RayAllen.com, one-stop shop for anything you need. Stick around during the podcast. Listen for the discount codes, RayAllen.com, best in the business. Yeah, one of our favorite partners who signed on for the rest of this year is Dogtra. Uh, excellent remote collars and the ball trainer. I got like four of those things at the kennel. They're awesome. Popper and a dropper. I've got the Pro and the first version. Um, and one of my favorites is the 1900S. Head over to Dogtra.com and check out everything they got. And then listen in the, in the middle of the episode for the discount code. If you want a great dog, great training, and want to go hang out in Florida and do all that, especially in the wintertime, our great friends at Southern Coast Canine, uh, they're amazing down there. They've been doing it a long time. they got single-purpose, dual-purpose trainer schools, handler schools, admin schools down in the Daytona, Florida area, southerncoastcanine.com. And one of our favorite 501s is the guys from Georgia Canine Foundation. After dogs retire, there's a lot of associated costs, and the departments generally don't cover those. It's on the handler to, to cover that. Those guys at the Georgia Police Canine Foundation take care of those dogs post-retirement. Head over to the website, check it out, buy some T-shirts, donate some money, and take care of the dogs after they get done working. So if you uh, want a kennel, you want to be in a kennel business or you have one you need to expand, horizonstructures.com is amazing. They will show up at your place, prefab, pre-built kennel, plug it into your sewer, into your water, into your power, on your property, drop it, hook up, put dogs in it that day. It's amazing, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we're back working dog radio broadcasting the bite. Um, another amazing episode being brought to you this March. Uh, my name is Eric Stambro from Ohio. With me, as always, is my co-host from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Ted Summers. Ted, what is going on in the Great Plains? Uh, by the time this um, uploads, it should be uh, three days into spring, and I am ecstatic about that. So, <laughs> it's fucking tornado season here now. So, uh, yeah, got a handler school going on. Um Got green dog stuff going on, trainer school, um, more HRD stuff. We got all of the uh, decoy camps published for HRD. Uh, we got four so far, one here, one in, oh, in Tulsa, one in St. Louis, uh, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, uh, with Chris Baez and the boys down there, and then up in Pennsylvania with some of the correction guys. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it should be a good time. And that's outside of normal HRD stuff. So um, we've definitely – not <laughs> we've definitely not taken a break I'll, I'll say that so no no and uh by the time this uploads you should have that building cleaned up and you should be in there huh? yeah i was moving stuff in there this morning i'll be doing that again this afternoon i had um the guys are in there there's some poor dude <laughs> this is huge i mean the building's like fourteen thousand square feet and dude's in there with a shot uh shot back going inch by inch over all the carpet in that place um, 
so I'm, I'm going to help him out here and I'll probably end up ripping up a bunch of that carpet anyways. Um, and I got, uh, so today's Tuesday, Thursday, I got dogs coming in from Europe. Got guys the very next week, Monday coming to test them out. So, uh, going to be helping out. Um, Canton's got a class coming up end of March, beginning of April. Uh, I'll be helping Chris out, get him going. He's getting five or six dogs in there. So I'm literally across the street. Plus I have, you know, facilities that need use. So we're going to get back in it pretty, pretty soon. Um, but yeah, that's about, that's about it. Looking forward to, uh, our next HRD is in Kentucky. Correct. I think that's the yep. next one, not decoy camp, but regular one is Richmond, Kentucky. Yeah. April. And the end of this month, actually, I think when this uploads, um, I will be in Indiana with, uh, Ray and with Hagner doing the first HRD decoy camp. Um, then after that we go to Richmond and then after Richmond, the following month, we go back to the same group that we're doing the decoy camp for. And those guys that went through our camp are going to be the decoys for us. So coming full circle in a matter of a couple months. So not a bad gig. So it should be interesting. Yeah, we're going to be in central Indiana, just west of Indianapolis. And I think Dale, Dan, Danville, I think is what it's called. Dan or Daleville. Mm -hmm. It's just west. Um, I think it's right off of whatever I interstate that is around out there. Anyway, um, yeah, so check it out, hrdpolicek9.com. Um, sign up. We got more stuff coming down the pipe. So we're pretty much booked up for the rest of the year, though. So get out and see us. We're going to be instructing at HITS, Bravo 3, and at Blue Line. Uh, Blue Line's first, then HITS. And then uh, Bravo 3 towards the end of the year with the kids in Gettysburg about a tripwire. So we'll be doing the dog and pony yeah, show on the road. Time. Yep. So well, what do we got? Just come by, say hi. Yeah. Faux show. Get challenge coins. We have the special ones that we only give out when you meet us. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what do we got going on today? So tonight, uh, our episode today is um, it's going to be a really good one. We, you know, last year we did two two episodes with handlers um, that had been downrange with dogs uh, or maybe a few, maybe three episodes. I don't remember. And they're always well received. Um, so, you know, we got to talk about their experiences uh, of getting, you know, in combat, getting blown up, surviving the stuff that with their dog and everybody seems to like it. So what we did was we reached out to arguably like the first canine celebrity that was the first like really well-known dog that came out of one of the first that came out of the global war on terror and from the Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and we're like, might as well let's go back to the, uh, earlier days, uh, the guys who kind of paved the way. So, um, we reached out to, uh, the handler, Mike, uh, uh, Dowling who handles Sergeant Rex. There's a book written about him, Sergeant Rex, the unbreakable bond between a Marine and his military working dog. Um, most of you have seen the dog, seen the social media, seen the internet. A lot of you have read the book. Um, so we're going to get into that with him. Talk about, uh, the, you know, being one of the first Marine dog handlers since Vietnam to be deployed uh, into that, especially into that triangle of death in 2004. Uh, that's early on, guys. And, um, you know, the, kind of the insanity involved in, in dealing with that, which back then, and it may still be, was just IED after IED after IED. And the, that's the way the war was being run. And, and I, I can't even fathom the mental stress of dealing with something like that. We're going to get into that. One of the big things we want to touch on is um, the, the realities of training for deployment, especially early on, like in 2003, to that era where 
you think you know what you're training for, uh, but when you get out there, the the uh, the sound and speed and human factor and the fog of war, uh, it's something really hard to replicate in training, even if you tried your best. Um, I know from when I was out at the SEAL uh, program for a little while, we, we would go do some training and I was like, I mean, this is pretty close, but I, I have no frame of reference myself, having not been deployed with them and talking to guys who already had a couple deployments and they're like, yes, but, and you can only get so close, right? Safely. So we'll talk about the effects that has on dogs and the humans and the teams and the bond that it builds. Um, but without further ado, uh, coming to us all the way from Los Angeles, uh, Mike Dowling. Mike, how are you? Hey, guys. Great to be here. I'm doing good. Thanks. So we, we interviewed a guy the other day who, who referred to himself as a Hollywood Marine. Would, or are you a West Coaster the whole time? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yes. I hate that term, though. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, but that is an accurate um, label to put on. I've been West Co- I grew up on the West Coast, stationed on the West Coast, and been living on the West Coast basically my whole life. So, yes. So before we get into it, let's, uh, you grew up in Northern California. Uh, we've had, we have friends, uh, both SoCal, middle of the state, Northern, what's best? Let's, let's hear you pump something. Uh, the best is NorCal, of course, because we (laughs) have, it's not, it's not too hot, not too cold. You're right on the city by the bay. Great restaurant, seafood, San Francisco's gorgeous, beautiful city. NorCal is the best all way, all day. All right, there you I go. Grew up, uh, yeah, I grew up in Richmond, California. Richmond is just north of Berkeley. Uh, and for any of you military history buffs, Richmond was the biggest shipyard building in the country during World War II. Uh, it has a famous Rosie the Riveter um, memorial over there. The city of Richmond's um, renowned for its military history is uh, during the World War II era and, and building ships. They built more ships than anywhere else there. There you go. Represent yeah. NorCal. <laughs> <laughs> we got some cop yeah. friends up there. They would probably agree with you. So uh, my, my only experience of living in California was in San Diego, and it was only for four months. And uh, compared to Ohio, San Diego was pretty freaking sweet. So I'll say that. Um, Plus, it was in the middle of winter, so I kind of enjoyed that. Um, right on. So growing up there, looking at the bio, looking at the stuff that we've read about you, um, you grew up and being an animal lover, and you actually worked, um, did some training and fostering of some uh, guide dogs. Is that true? Uh, yes. There's a great organization based in the city uh, called San Rafael, California. It's north of San Francisco, about half an hour. Um and it's called Guide Dogs for the Blind, the Guide Dogs for the Blind Foundation. They have a beautiful facility uh, up there, uh, kennels and the whole nine yards. So my older sister, when she was around 13, 14 years old, and I'm two years younger than she is, um, she, so we had pet dogs my whole life. We always had two, just our own family pet dogs. And for whatever reason, she just came across this organization, Guide Dogs, and wanted to get involved, so she did. And we fostered uh, guide dog puppies, raised them, helped train them. We went to the meetings. I, I loved doing it with her. Um, she was the primary person in our, in our family that did it, but I would just kind of tag along at the time. 
And uh, our family ended up fostering several guide dogs that went on to become um, guide dogs for the blind. And it was a great experience. What, um, what Was it just all kinds of different breeds? What did you see in that program? Uh, we had black labs, yellow labs, retrievers. Um, yeah, pretty much labs and retrievers was, was the majority of the breeds that I saw and that we took home. And, um, and, and fortunately, one of the dogs that we fostered and graduated to becoming a guide dog, uh, his name was August. Uh, when August retired from his service, the handler needed a new dog, which she got. And we actually got to adopt August in his retirement years. So my family fostered and trained the dog. He worked for several years. And then when he retired, we got to keep him for additional, I think, three or four years until he passed. And, and that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, that is pretty neat. What, what did you, helping with your family and working on the training of that, what, what did you really learn about dog behavior that may have actually helped you later on? Sure. So I was really young at the time when all this was happening. And I just remember thinking how intelligent the dogs were and how, pick, how quickly they picked up training. Um, the other thing about where I grew up in Richmond is there are ve- there's a beautiful dog park um, right on the coast of the San Francisco Bay Area called Point Isabel Dog Park. And Point Isabel is not your average dog park. It is literally a gigantic, massive piece of land on the coast that is dedicated to nothing but dogs. It's amazing. And I lived about uh, three quarters of a mile from there. I was very close. And we would take our dogs there every weekend, literally hundreds, it's like dog heaven. And literally hundreds of dogs would be there um, every weekend. Now when you go, it's so overcrowded with dogs, it's incredible. But um, to your point, I just understood from a very early age how smart and intelligent dogs could be. And when I went to these meetings at the Guide Dogs for the Blind Foundation, which were usually um, once or twice a month, and watching these other dogs, um, I felt like there was no limit in terms of how far you could go in training these dogs to do what you want them to do. Because having pet dogs, you just play with them, run around with them, and you don't really think about training them. But once you actually focus on the training and you see how smart and quick they can pick it up, it just kind of makes you appreciate the animal that much more. We all know this from training uh, police dog handlers and military dog handlers and and um, I'm sure you've heard it a million times when you were in school and a handler, the whole mantra of trust your dog, right? Where handlers try to outthink maybe the dog and think, uh, no, he couldn't have went that way. It, could, it couldn't be over there. We're going this way, that type of thing. Um, did you ever, were you ever able to say anything during training to other handlers? Like, look, like the, the epitome of trust your dog is a blind person walking in, public and in traffic with their dog. Um, I, I don't know that they would have any other choice. I'm, I'm sure there's been um, blind folks in history that have tried to, no, no, where are you going? I'm used to this. I know exactly where we're at, that type of thing. But did, did any of that kind of come up as you got into the, into the Marine dogs? Um, that's a great point, actually. The fact that, you, yes, you're right. Um, uh, the epitome of trust your dog is a blind person trusting their dog to lead them where they need to go. And I'll tell you, one of, I, a very vivid memory for me was when the, the dog that you foster and, and help train, when they get um, 
partnered with the with the person that the blind person that they're going to be with. They spend some time with them. They learn how to work with each other, and then they graduate as a team together. And when I the first time I got to see them working together, and I saw the dog that we trained working with that blind person and doing what they were supposed to do, I was like, wow, it really worked. And I'm a kid watching this, thinking like, oh my god, we we helped play a humongous part and a life-changing animal for that person. And that was a special moment for me as a kid to observe that. So moving forward, uh, when I get into dog handling as an, you know, in the military, I don't think I ever pulled that card of like, you know, I used to train, you know, guide dogs for the blind or anything like that. But I was just coming from a place of like, of conviction of knowing that these dogs are capable of doing what we asked them to do. And so, yes, there were times where I would say, just, you know, trust your dog, tr you know, trust what they're doing. Um, they're trained to do this. Like, uh, whenever I came from that position, I came from a place of really believing that from a very young age. Yeah, that's, I mean, <clears throat> we, I feel that way a lot too. Like when I turn, of course, sometimes I think some of my handlers are blind, but, uh, when I turn them loose and you know, you turn the dogs loose with the handlers and you're like, all right, go into the world and find drugs and bite people. And then they go do it. And you're like, man, that's awesome. And it is a great feeling. I can only imagine. I haven't done any service dogs. Um, I truthfully don't know almost nothing about it. Um, I'd help with a diabetic alert dog one time, but you know, that I can't imagine like how rewarding that would be and to see him because I used to do it with the police dogs all the time. But I mean, and they serve a purpose, but a guide dog, I mean, you're giving somebody with a true disability access to the rest of the world. They don't have to feel like they're stuck. So I'm assuming it's probably pretty, pretty, uh, pretty fulfilling. Um, yeah. So speak, yeah. speaking of the military, um, walk us through the decision to uh, go into the Marines and how we end up being a dog handler. Sure. So um, I'm one of six kids. My dad's from Ireland. My mom is from Los Angeles. She's Hispanic. They met in my dad emigrated to the States. Uh, he was teaching here. Couldn't take the heat and the smog. And so, and he met my mom at church. They got married. They moved to Northern California. Good Irish, Hispanic, Catholic family. And, um, but I had no military in my family. Like, I had no known military background that I could draw upon as I grew, grew up. However, um, one of my very close friends that I grew up with his whole life, he was one of those kids that built military dolls and G.I. Joe's and like not just buy G.I. Joe's, but he bought like the actual dolls and painted them like military figures and stuff. And and for whatever reason, he was just really um, infatuated with the Marines. And all he talked about as a kid and throughout high school was joining the Marines. He tried to con and he talked about it so much that he piqued my interest. Um, but other than him, I had no influence about the military at all, other than, you know, watching Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and stuff. You know what I mean? And um, mm -hmm. um, so when it came to graduate high school, um, he went straight in and he tried to get me to go buddy program in the boot camp with him. Um, but I got accepted into some school, into some colleges that I was wanting to go to, which I did. And this is before 9-11. So this is peacetime. This is late 90s. And um, I ended up going to school in Santa Barbara, which is another beautiful city in California. And he got stationed in San Diego uh, after graduating boot camp, and he was infantry and sniper. And actually, he did a whole career in MARSOC and just retired this past year. And then he helped spearhead the whole when MARSOC um, was created back, I think, 2006. Um, 
he was part of that whole effort. So, and he's a childhood friend of mine. And, and when he was stationed in San Diego, he and his mili- his Marine buddies on the weekends can go wherever they want. Santa Barbara's not that far from San Diego. They would come visit me and we, we would have a good time on the weekends. And they would all tell me how much fun they're having in the Marine Corps and that I should be in the Marines. And by coincidence, this kid that was in one of my college courses was in the Marine Corps Reserve and would also tell me, why aren't you in the Marines? You, should, you have the mentality for it or whatever, like you should do it. And it just kind of ate at me. And I just felt like I wanted to have a challenge physically, just something greater than myself. I wasn't, um, I, it just started eating away at me um, that I wanted to, to do it. And so after about two and a half years, um, I left school. I went back home to get some personal things in order. And I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell a single person, not one person. I was just kind of driving around, hemming it on. I'm like, don't do this because I was actually considering being a firefighter at the time as well. And then I just said, screw it. Like, you know, I'm a, my buddy did it. He's having a great time. I, I want to commit to myself something bigger in life and do something really challenging, serve my country, all this stuff. And I just drove myself to the recruiter office and signed up. It wasn't a motivation of like, I want to go to war or even a really die hard. I really want to serve my country. Some of that was, you know, the serving my country part was part of it, but I would say the biggest reason was I, I just wanted a challenge in life and something, being a part of something bigger than my uh, myself and and feel like I was going to be part of something that was going to help me grow and at the time that at that time of my life. So that's how I ended up joining. And the crazy part is, I had no idea at that time that the military had dogs. I, I had no idea because you know now everybody knows, which is great. Back right. then, it wasn't it wasn't widely known, and so when I joined, um, I talked to my I signed up, called my buddy, said, "Hey, I just joined," and he was all excited about it. And he's like, "Well, what job are you going to do?" And I, we were talking about jobs, and it was so funny because, to make a long story short, I ended up choosing communications. I was going to go in and, and and be comms because, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, I felt like that was a skill set I could apply to the civilian world <laughs> if I got out. <laughs> And um, I was supposed to leave. So I signed up in spring. Uh, I signed up in spring, spring of 2001, and I was in the delayed entry program. So I wasn't supposed to leave till October, and I had a guaranteed contract for communication. But then in August 2001, they called me. My recruiter said, "Hey, one of our our kids dropped out. Can you go in two days?" And I said, "Sure, I'm ready to go." I get on. I go to Meps. I'm getting processed out. They said, what's your job? Is it communication? They said, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is. I got it guaranteed. And they said, yeah, for when you leave in October. But because you're leaving early in August, it's nullified and you don't have it. We're closed out. You got to pick a new job. And um, I was really, I, I got screwed by my, by my recruiter, basically. He didn't tell me that that part was going to happen. And um, mm-hmm. so, but I was mentally ready to go. And I said, well, what can I do? They said, we're running late. Like, we don't have time for you to, like, run down a list. You either don't get on this plane and go in October and get your guaranteed communication job, or you go in on open contract right now. And um, and I went in on an open contract, which is the dumbest thing you can do. But I did it because I was just ready to go. And open contract, for anyone, listeners not knowing, that means the military chooses your job for you. You go in with an open, open blank slate in terms of what they do to you. And so... I went to boot camp not knowing what I was going to do in the Marines, and then 9-11 happened, right? So I go to boot camp August 2001, Marine Corps boot camp for three months. One month in, 9-11 happens, and um, 
I was actually excited. At the first, we thought the drill instructors were, were screwing with us when they told us, hey, we're under attack, we're going to war, blah, 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 blah. And we just thought that they were just kind of amping us up, and it was all kind of like a mind trick. But then we realized real quick that there was no joke. And um, it my my thought process was, well, if we're going to go to war, like, I'm going to go defend my country. Like, I'm happy to be in Marine Corps boot camp and be a Marine. Like, send me. Go ahead. And so that was, so I was okay. And I thought I was for sure going to be infantry because they were going to need more infantry. So I was kind of mentally preparing myself for that. So then I graduate boot camp, uh, but I don't go to, inf- to um, SOI, School of Infantry. And I'm going to MCT, which in the Marines, if you go to MCT, that means you're not going to be infantry. You're going to be some other job. And then I ended up getting military police. And then it was at military police school when I first heard that you could be a dog handler. And that just blew my mind. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know you guys had dogs. Yeah. And um, and then come to, find, come to find out it was incredibly competitive, you know, in the military police class in the Marine Corps at that time, like 60, 70 students. There was only like around two spots available. Half the class wants it. So I busted my ass and I was the honor graduate and um, graduate taught my class so, to make sure that I got it. And I got it. Where did they send you then for uh, the dog school at that point? They sent me and I got, you know, I immediately applied for dog handler and got it. Um, they sent me straight to Lackland, to Lackland Air Force Base, where all MWD handlers go to the handler, working dog handlers course. Um, and so I went there and the uh, end of winter, early spring 2002 is when I went to Lackland. And I had the time of my life. I had a great class. It was like I was with dogs and I was I was in my element. I was like, I was so happy. Like it, it could have, my military experience could have went completely the opposite direction. I could have got, got a job that I didn't care about or didn't want to do. Instead, I got the job that is the greatest job that I feel in the military, which is to work with dogs. I went to the handlers course. You, you work with other branches of service, you know, every branch, you know, Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines, all the handlers trained together there. And, um, and I was loving every second of it. I was really loving my life at that time. I had great instructors, great classmates. I had a green dog that I helped to certify to become a military working dog at the handlers course. And, um, yeah, I was just really thinking in my head, like, wow, I really made a great choice <laughs> in joining the military, you know? So, yeah. And then, and then from uh, Lackland, I graduated Lackland. One of my instructors was a Marine instructor, and um, he, I, he became a friend of mine. And he was like, Dowling, um, where do you want to get stationed? And I was like, well, where's a good canine unit? And he said, well, Camp Pendleton on the West Coast is probably the best canine unit in, in the Marine Corps, let alone the military. This is 2002 at the time. And um, and I was like, I would love to be in San Diego. If I can get there, let's go there. He was like, well, let's see if we can get you there. And, and that's where I got. So then from when I graduated Hannah's course, I went to what I was being told at the time was the best canine unit in the Marine Corps, which was Camp Pendleton. And I got to Camp Pendleton, um, and there was 20 dogs there, 20 handlers there. I was the 21st handler. And, yeah, and then my my experience really started at that point, at the in the spring of 2002, stationed at Camp Pendleton Canine. Awesome. So um, when you got your first station there, what was uh, – who was your first uh, partner? My first dog? Yeah. 
so I, I was the boot. I was the, I, I was never assigned a dog, uh, until Rex. So, oh, no, so okay. the, yeah, when I got there, I didn't, I wasn't assigned a dog. I was just the kennel bitch. Basically I clean, I clean runs. I did everything that every boot handler does. I was the D I was decoying. I was annotating all the font, all the detection hits during training. I was keeping the the kennels clean and feeding the dogs and just everything you do. And, and I didn't mind, by the way, I was loving every, every second of, of all of it. And, um, but there were dogs that were getting to retire out that weren't assigned handlers. And I would be the ones I would be one, even though I wasn't officially assigned to them, I'd be the one to like exercise them and take them out and just keep them healthy until they get adopted out or something like that. Um, so even though I wasn't officially interacting with them every day. Gotcha. So back then this would be new, um, as far as, uh, you know, or just word is trickling back as to what's happening overseas and things like that. Were you guys with your dogs training for, um, more of like an on-leash route clearance or was it more of the tactical explosive device off-leash uh, work at that point? So, uh, um, you, you know, we weren't invading in Iraq yet, you know, and we were only in Afghanistan at that time, mm -hmm. I think. And the majority of the training was just regular. They didn't really change their training that much. It was just standard military police working dog training. Um, but the best thing about Camp Pendleton, I don't know if either of you guys have ever been there, but is how much land there is. And we have access to the entire base to do all kinds of training. And, um, and my instructor at Lackland was correct. These guys, the guy, the and gals that were at Camp Pendleton Canine were great. I loved them. They were great trainers, great handlers. The dogs were amazing. However, uh, what happened was uh, at the end of August 2002, it turns out NCIS had an undercover investigation um, investigating the Camp Pendleton Canine unit. To make a really long story short, they took a law enforcement dog who was a, a friend of theirs was a law enforcement officer the dog had some issues they took the dog in and housed it with the military dogs to try and fix the dog because it was becoming a liability in the civilian world this all happened before i got there and the dog got out attacked the handlers the handlers tried to to do it they had a pinch collar on it, I think, is what happened. They yanked on it so hard that it, it pierced through the dog's throat. The dog was bleeding out in the kennels. And instead of taking it to the vet, um, which if they had done that, who knows if the dog's life would have been safe. But they, they, they for sure would have been in trouble. So they took the dog out back and they killed it. That's the story. I wasn't there when it happened, but that's what I was told. That is what happened. They took this, sold it, and they buried it in the in the, in the hills behind the kennel. Also, that investigation on the unit before I even got there, the, the investigation was running the whole time I was there. 
And then at the end of summer, the entire 21 Handler unit got relieved of duty. Everybody got kicked out of K-9. I was the only one who got exonerated because uh, I wasn't assigned a dog. I wasn't there when it happened. Everybody else was kicked out of K-9. So then overnight, like I was riding this high of, wow, this is the best decision I ever did. I'm in a great unit, great location, great handlers, great training. These guys are becoming my good friends. And then, boom, they're all gone. Some of them got kicked out of the Marines. All of them were kicked out of K-9. And then uh, an evaluator from Lackland got flown now to evaluate the dogs. And he ruled that the dogs were not effective and couldn't be certified as military dogs. And they had to all be retired out, adopted, or sent back as training dogs to lack, you know, recognized as a great unit in 2002 to overnight no handlers except me and no dogs overnight. And um, I was really bummed about it. I was really in a bad place about it because I thought the whole thing was overblown and maybe a couple guys should have gotten in trouble, but certainly not everybody. Um, and so we had to rebuild. So Pendleton went from went from went down to zero dogs, and Lackland started sending us dogs. And the first dogs that they sent us was Rex and a dog named Robbie. They flew out together, and I went to the airport to go pick them up to help rebuild the unit from that day on. Holy shit! So so you, you know, basically just you know yeah. humping along to the senior guy. In the kennel, you go from the junior guy to the senior guy in, in a blink of an eye. Yeah, overnight. They sent uh, two dog teams from Miramar, which mm-hmm. is a Marine Corps base, down the freeway from Pendleton. They took a couple of guys from there and, and rotated them up to Pendleton. Um, and then I, I was there. They brought in a new kennel master. And they just and they sent us new dogs. And, yeah, you're right. And overnight, I went from the boot handler to a senior handler, just like that. That is crazy. Isn't that crazy? And um, and we just kind of had to figure it all out on our own from that day on. And then um, one of the other one of the other dog teams that they sent out right after that was a handler named Adam Can. For those who don't know, Adam was the first canine handler killed in action since Vietnam. He was killed in January 2006 in Ramadi, Iraq. Uh, but he was flown out from, he had just did a, a, a one year stint in Japan and he got rotated to Pendleton. So he was out there. I was there. Uh, a couple guys from uh, Miramar came up. There was only like four or five of us at the time. And, um, and we were, and we had to rebuild the unit. And that's when I got Rex. Well, that's insane. That's what a crazy story. That's, that's nuts. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Now when we get back. We're going to get into that. Um, the, the meeting of Rex going through the uh, workup and then um, landing overseas and starting the job. Um, so we'll be right back. All right, guys, Scottsdale, Arizona, 2020 hits. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Jeff Barrett, one of the owners of hits uh, for his retirement. Jeff's oh, yeah. a good dude. Um, Ted and I are going to be instructing there this year. It's the best conference out there, period. It's yep. the biggest and the best. Um, it's in Scottsdale. Never been there. Can't wait. You know, it's in the desert and the hotel has a wave pool. 
So, guys, we can go surf. All you dudes can be out there, you know, with your dad bods and all that stuff, um, hanging out. Ted, Here, when and where? Tan. What are we doing? <laughs> Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> uh, August 18th to the 21st, 2020. Uh, yeah, everybody can bring their night their their night shift tan out and surf in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's uh, hits <laughs> canine letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. I think about six weeks before uh, tickets go up, or so. Be sure to. Uh, Head on over. And if you were part of a Patreon member of ours, we gave away a free uh, pass this year, too. So also pays to be a Patreon member because you could go for free. Well, at least the the, the uh, ticket price would be free. So, yeah. Uh, one of our other sponsors that we're really stoked about and has been with us for a long time is Ray Allen. Ray Allen has been around forever. And it's not just for police dogs. It's for working dogs, pets, uh, bird dogs, gun dogs, and, of course, police dogs and sport dogs. But they have everything from leashes to handler equipment to uh, we actually do the muzzles for them, the uh, Ramtech muzzles here, uh, the working dog dry good ones there. So, yeah, those are uh, fantastic. If you use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO, uh, you'll get 10% off, um, and it's RayAllen.com. Head on over, hit them up, order something. I'm a knee collar guy, right? I train all my dogs on knee collars, and I use, for all my working dogs, man, it's Dogtra. That's all it is, Dogtra. Uh, the, I, I maintain over and over the 1900S is the best collar on the market for police dogs. 1900S by Dogtra. It can, you can get a Molly attachment for your vest for the controller, and uh, I, I love the 1900S. Ted, talk about the ball popper that you love. Oh, yeah, the ball popper and the ball popper pro. It's a popper and a dropper. You can tie multiple of them together, I think eight at a time, and it'll launch a tennis ball about waist height, and then you can load up to three to drop them. And I hide them. I actually modify them and put magnets all over them and stick them under cars, under our bus, and all kinds of stuff. We put them inside cars to launch tennis balls out when we're training dogs. Batteries are rechargeable on the pro, and it's got a little bit uh, shorter response time on the remote, so you get a better response from the dog and the window is much shorter in terms of the reaction from the unit but yeah i love that thing uh we gave away some of those also during our patreon giveaway uh christmas last year so and the year before that so there's some people out there that have gotten that love them so i like i like them a lot for sure yeah we have a discount code if you check them out go to dogtra.com discount code wdr10 for 10 percent off a single item over 200 dollars. dogtra.com yeah, you know, one of the sponsors has been with us since the beginning is Highland Canine out in North Carolina. It's the Pergasons, Jason and Aaron. Love those guys. Jason's actually been on the podcast before. He's an instructor at a lot of the conferences we go to. Fantastic trainer. Uh, they run a school there that accepts a VA, and they've got customers from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, they've developed programs for um, African nations, and uh, have had lots of dogs come through. Uh, they do green dogs. They do seminars. They do top-to-bottom police dogs with handler schools included. Uh, and because of that, they've got on-site living accommodations for handlers during handler schools. So top-to-bottom, front-to-back, beginning to end, they got you covered. Head over to Tactical Police Canine Training dot com that's letter k number nine and check out everything they've got going on in the seminars coming up we actually gave away a 500 hundred dollar gift certificate during uh, our christmas giveaway in 2019 so yeah be sure to head over tactical police canine letter k number nine training.com so one of the best things that we ever have gotten on this podcast is our relationship with vet care and their product quick derm we make no secret about it i tell everybody um, they're like, yeah, my dog's got this going on. This this injury got cut here. Do that. I'm like, get Quick Derm by Vet Care. It's it's like 
magic elixir. It really is. It's crazy how good it works and how fast it is as advertised. It's one of my uh, favorite relationships that we have. Quick turn by vet care. Um, Ted, I know you use it on yourself, I think. Yeah, I got nuked by a dog last year and had to get some stitches, but it definitely helped clean it up. Uh, in fact, you have a buddy that's up close mm. to you that owns a uh, pet business that had a dog come in that he used it on to keep this dog. The, the problem from getting worse that the owner didn't realize had that had the dog had when he got dropped off, uh, which is kind of what this stuff's about. It prevents little things from becoming big problems. So, you know, dogs cut themselves, especially working dogs. You know, stuff gets stuck in their paw. Happy tails, another common one. Um, they get their muzzles all torn up and stuff from dealing with uh, crates and kennels. It's super easy to apply. Works really well. You only have to do it once a day. It's not like rocket science. So, yeah, head over to VetCare. Dot us and use the discount code 10WDR for a 10% off discount off your first order. Speaking of easy, that's why I like VetCare. But also easy is Horizon Structures. We get information uh, passed to us all the time and questions passed to us all the time about, oh, what's the best kennel to use? Do you use this? Do you use you know, these pre-made panels, whatever else? If you're going to invest the money to create a commercial, whether it's the police side or whatever, invest the money in horizon structures. It's literally like plug and play. So you have the pad set up, you tie it into sewer and water. They show up with a flatbed truck. They drop that sucker off and it's plugged in. You can put dogs in it an hour after they leave. It's fantastic. Eric, what do you think of those things? I, I tell you this, I remember you built that, uh, that one kennel oh, yeah. that you had. I guarantee you, if you knew that horizon structures was available, you'd have just done that. It's, I can't, um, I'm looking everywhere for a kennel and there's just never, anything's not, Perfect. You know, it's just not working out for me. So I'm trying to find a, a good spot where I can get Horizon Structures. I've been on their website, horizonstructures.com, went through everything, looked at the tutorials, looked at their videos. Um, dude, it's you drop it, put dogs in it. So how simple is that? It's amazing. They have financing available, everything, horizonstructures.com. Yeah, and it's custom. You can literally do yes. whatever you want. Like from insane, from mild to wild, insane to normal. I mean, anything you want. But yeah, horizonstructures.com. Hit them up. Okay, everybody, we are back, Working Dog Radio. Um, if you're listening on Patreon, commercial free. If you're listening on all the other avenues that you can hear a podcast and you skip forward on the commercials, do me a favor, go back or at least go to the bottom of the of the show notes and check out our we got some great sponsors, guys. We don't bring on bullshit. We got some good dudes uh, with us. We got great discount codes. Um, if you get a chance, some of you know the, the spots by heart and you have them memorized and we appreciate it. But uh, give it a second, go back when you can and take, uh, take a look at those and a listen. Uh, we are here with uh, Mike Dowling um, from uh, the Marine Corps dog handler of K9 Rex, um, author, aficionado of, uh, of Will. So when we left before commercial break, he uh, was out in Pendleton, just met Rhett, a 20 dog kennel, went down to zero. Um, so Mike, what, um, I mean, you, you don't really have much of a choice when you meet these two dogs, but what was it about Rex that, that triggered it for you that this is going to be my dude? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I went with, um, uh, at the time our, um, we were assigned a tentative chief trainer and the, he and I drove down to the San Diego airport and picked up our two new military dogs, which was Rex and a dog named Robbie. I went to Robbie's kennel first and Robbie just kind of laid down in his 
pretty, he was a big dog. Robbie was like a hundred and five pound Czech shepherd. He was a big dog. And, um, and he just, he looked at me through his kennel crate and just laid down, you know, kind of care less. I went to Rex's crate and Rex was standing up, staring me down, gave me a growl. And, um, you know, and I'm sure most handlers can relate. You kind of want a challenge when you're a handler, you don't want no push over a dog. And, um, and I just was like, this, this dog feels like he's got some, uh, he's got some personality and some spunk to him. So, so, um, I was like, I think this is who I want. And so we go back to the kennels, we put the dogs up and, uh, I got to sign Rex and Robbie was a great dog too, by the way. Um, they were both great dogs, thankfully. And so, uh, but Rex was only a year and a half years old. He was still a puppy, basically. He certified early as a military working dog, came out. He was only a year and a half when I got him. This was the fall of 2000, fall or winter of 2002. And um, I go into Rex's kennel for the first time because I, he was assigned my dog. I go into his kennel. I get assigned to him that day. And uh, I go in to sit and eat food with him. And, um, when I go in there, I just go to pet him like an idiot instead of giving him his space and, and <laughs> just on my, you know, like just getting him used to me. I just went straight in and just tried to start petting him and he bit me. He went, he didn't like his full on attack me. He, he just bit my hand, like to say, get off of me. Um, but you know, as a handler, you can't let a dog do that to you. He'll never respect you. And I, and, and thankfully when in the unit before it got busted that I was with, over that summer, I, I observed this exact thing happen. I saw a, a handler get assigned an aggressive dog. He went in to go um, get the dog. The dog attacked him. The kennel master saw all of this and said, take the dog over here. Let's, let's fix this right now. The handler would touch the dog. The dog would attack, and he would pick him up and alpha roll him. He can mount on top of him and get on top and you know, say no, 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 right in his face and, and keep his mouth shut. And, so I watched this happen when I was a boot handler. So when Rex did it to me, that's exactly what I did to him. I took him out of his kennel and I just alpha rolled him. I wasn't like um, hitting him or anything. I just, I just, I'm a, I'm a fairly big guy. So it wasn't that difficult for me to pick him up and just put him on his back and get on top of him and just get in his face and say no. And that was it. That was the only time he ever bit me or he ever tried to bite me. Um, he was, um, well, and by the way, I got off of him and he, like in that moment, he was trying to get at me. And, um, after a couple of minutes, a couple alpha rolls, he was done and he was my dog and he was like super protective of me from that day moving forward. And, um, and I was, I put all my energy into Rex because at that time I was in a bad place in terms of, wow, the Marine Corps kind of screwed over all my friends this whole thing, you know, this, I feel a lot of responsibility to help rebuild this unit and just do everything. And the people that I knew and familiar with are no longer here. And I'm just going to focus on my dog. And that was it. My whole life was about Rex at that point. And, um, you know, I slept at the office with Rex. I took him out. There was never a moment where, I, where I wasn't with him, even on weekends. And, um, yeah, moving forward, it was just all about, making that dog as, as, as great as possible. And so there was never a thought of like, we might be going to war one day. And yeah, that was always a possibility, but we were just training to be good dog teams. Um, and what's funny is the commanding officer that kicked everybody out of canine 
he had to be the one to observe and certify me and Rex as a, an official military dog team on Camp Pendleton. So after that whole shakedown happened, Rex and I were the first dog team certified by that same office, the commanding officer kicked everybody out. And at the end of it, he actually became a good friend of mine and said, oh, Dally, I'm sorry, everything with that happened. Um, you guys, it looks like you guys are doing a good job. You know, good luck moving forward. And he was actually really a supporter from that time forward. Um, but, yeah, we just started training. Me, Adam, Jason, Amato, like our whole crew of guys, uh, we just hit, we just trained. We trained hard. That was it. We wanted to make Kent Pendleton a great unit again. <laughs> And um, and that was when we did, we were going we were going to the beach at Camp Pendleton up into the mountains. We do night training. Uh, we go do all these open field searches, all these hour long detection problems. Um, we would go down to the San Diego airport because they have abandoned terminals that they would allow us. We would go off base and find places to go train, and we just did it. We did everything we could to train with our dogs and change it up, up and mix it up and. And I was having fun again. And, um, and Rex was a great dog. He was super great. He had a great nose. He had great instincts. And, um, and, and he was a beautiful dog. So he was my life. Yeah, he kind of became an extension of, of me at that time. And, um, and that was it. Yeah, and then fast forward uh, two years later in early 2004. So here I got him in the fall 2002. And we trained for two years, started helping rebuild the unit. Two years go by, early 2004 comes around, and we get word that they want dog teams sent to Iraq. And, um, and they wanted a dog team, specifically from the, Marine, from the Marines, they wanted a dog team from every Marine Corps base and, camp, and from the bigger bases like, like Camp Pendleton, they wanted two teams and so Rex and I were one of those two teams that got selected from Camp Pendleton to be part of that first group and what we were told at the time is that there was no SOPs like no one knew if the dog teams would work in Iraq at that time no well we were going with the specific mission of of doing operations of going on patrols like they didn't want us just doing base security perimeter security they told us when we get out there, whatever units we're assigned to, you let them know that we are there to operate. We are there to do missions because we need to figure out if dog teams can be effective on the front lines of today's combat environment. And we had a great kennel master that came out with us uh, to Iraq, you know, and he was great at putting us out there and making sure everyone knew that, um, that the dog teams were available to go on patrol. And so we... Yeah, that whole process of learning about getting deployed. And at the time, I had a personal issue. My dad, um, who was I was very close with and I'm very grateful for because he was great, he was dying from cancer. And so my kennel master at Camp Pendleton actually gave me the option. He said, hey, Dallin, you and Rex uh, are looking real solid. We want you to deploy. But I know your dad is, is dying. Um, we have other teams that can go. And I said, well, you can't give me that option because if I don't go and someone goes to my place and gets hurt and killed, I'm, never, I'm, I'm always going to have that on my mind. So, of course, I'm going to go. So um, that was always in the back of my head because my dad was, wasn't supposed to live, you know, more than one or two months of me 
being deployed. But um, but he did survive, actually. He survived until I came home, and then he passed away after I saw him one last time. So it was just kind of like a whole – there was a lot going on in my headspace at that time. So I just kind of focused on my job, and I got assigned to um, – when I went to Iraq, so all the dog teams deployed together. We all – well, before that, all the dog teams from the Marine Corps – came to Camp Pendleton and we were there for about a month. And so you talk about training. We didn't know how to, we didn't know how to train for combat at the time. We didn't, we did not know. We did not because no one had done it, at least from the canine world. And so we would go to what we thought we might be exposed to. We, we spent more time at rifle ranges. We went out with EOD and they set out simulated IEDs and, 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 and did explosions, and we would have our dogs with them so they could be around all this stuff and learn about this stuff because we were just doing regular military working dog training that whole time. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, we might do this or this or this, but it was nothing close to what we experienced. But um, So then we all deployed together, all the dog teams, not knowing who, where we were, we were going to be working in Iraq. We get there. And they tell our kennel master, okay, good, dog teams are here. We want a dog team in this area of the country, this area, with this unit, with this unit. And they spread us out all over the country. And and um, that's when I got assigned to 2-2, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines. 2-2 was an infantry battalion based at a Camp Lejeune. And they were part of the invasion into Iraq a year before in 2003. And then they came home, got some, uh, took a couple months off. And went right back to Iraq. So they were already kind of a battle-hardened infantry uh, unit. And I had never met any of them. I was from Pendleton. They were from Lejeune. I never met one of those Marines in my life until the day I stepped on their base and was assigned to them. And so I was worried that how they would receive me and Rex because, you know, I'm a military Technically, I'm a military policeman. I'm somebody they hate, right? <laughs> infantry guys don't like MPs and um but every, everybody loves the dog so and rex is a great dog so um we got assigned to 2-2 and they were on a base called fob mamadia mamadia is about an hour south of baghdad uh about 30 minutes 45 minutes east of fallujah and um and at the time the area that mamadia was in was known as the triangle of death because their area of operation was basically these three cities. And on the map, it was like a triangular area. And the reason why they call it triangular of death is because in 2004, we had one of the highest, if not the highest rate of casualties and attacks on our unit at that time. There was a lot of action going on. And 2-2 took a lot of casualties. Um, they had they only had they had several KIA, but they had I think like over sixty wounded during that time, and um, damn, yeah, yeah, it was a lot. So now all of a sudden, yeah, I'm from I'm from sunny San Diego, California, dropped into this place that they're telling me is called the Triangle of Death with these guys I never met before. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, so, way back in episode twenty three. We interviewed Dana Brown, um, and she was a kennel master over there. 
Uh, and oh, she wow. said the same thing. And she was like, yeah, my Marines would go over and, you know, they're all MPs. And then I'm kicking them out to these actual infantry units. And these guys are like, you want us to take these guys with us? <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> do they know what the fuck they're doing? And she's like, yeah, totally. But yeah. she had a similar story about how, like, the training, they're like, well, you know, we were trained to be cops. Like we're, you know, we're not yeah. trained to go out and fucking fight battles and shit. So it was an interesting, so kind of talk a little bit about like, uh, do you remember your first patrol with Rex? Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I was with, I was assigned to two, two and, um, they, one of the Marines that I was supposed uh, that I reported into every day for accountability, he was like, okay, so I'll let the infantry companies know that you're here. In the meantime, go stand at the front gate with your dog. Because we had civilian Iraqis come to visit the base or come, they'd walk, walk up and give information, whatever. And so I would just stand the gates of the FOB with Rex waiting to be called upon to go on patrols. And I was there for about, I think, like a week and a half or, or so. And um, we had never got called. However, I knew because the FOB, this, was a real, this wasn't like Camp Fallujah or Al-Assad. FOB Mamadia was a really tiny base, like you can walk across it in five minutes, you know? And, um, and the reason why I say that is because it was, you could hear, we were right next to the city. You could hear all the attacks, the IEDs, the firefights. You can hear all the action going on right outside the base. And so I knew that stuff was happening and I would see casualties come back into the base. And in my head, I'm thinking like, why aren't I being utilized? Like, isn't that what we're here for? And so about a week and a half goes by, no word, nothing. So I walk into the first sergeant's uh, office, the infantry company, the first sergeant of each infantry company were located in the same building. And I walked to that building with Rex and walked, and all three of them were in that office at the same time. And they, I walk in, here I am a corporal with Rex. And um, I said, hey, good afternoon. I'm Corporal Dowling. This is my military working dog, Rex. And I just wanted you to be aware that we're here. And one of them was like, can that dog find bombs? That was the first thing he said. He, they didn't say that. The very first thing he said was, can that dog find bombs? I said, that's what he's trained to do. Yes. Wait, what year And was they were this? like, can he work tonight? What year was this? March of 2000. God 2004. dang. So in that amount of time, we've come to now, the, now people in that position know that those dogs can find bombs. But uh, man, what a question to be asked <laughs> by leadership. No pressure at all. Either, they did. Right? <laughs> They didn't know. Apparently, word didn't get around. I don't know who the guy told or whatever, but apparently, nobody knew I was there. Wow! And so when I walked when I walked in with the dog to to the infantry company first sergeant's office, they were like, "Is I was like, this is a military dog?" And they're like, "Can he find? Can he find bombs?" I said, "Yeah, that's what we're here for. We're assigned to you guys to this unit." And they're like, "We got missions right now. You can be on." And why didn't you tell us before? And I was like, oh, "I thought you knew." And they're like, well, are you ready to go? We got an operation tonight. And I said, sure, let's, let's go. And so the operation was um, they got intel that there was like a little safe house somewhere on the outskirts of the city that they thought were, they were using as a stage point to make IDs and all this stuff. So they basically wanted to take down this little safe house. And I'm sitting in the brief uh, that afternoon for the night's operation. So it was so funny. I go into this first sergeant's office, and within the next hour, I'm sitting in this brief with all these officers um, talking about what they're going to do on this mission. And basically, these uh, the Humvees were going to roll out with the infantry, the um, 
part of the Humphreys. We're going to roll around a couple, like 500 yards behind the building, drop off the, the Marines, and then the Humphreys were going to all stage and hide in the in the front area of the building while the with with some of the Marines, and then all the Marines they dropped off were going to come in from the back through the uh, there's a palm grove that they would walk through, and they would circle the building and then take it down. And once they secured the building, you know I. I was going to go in with Rex and search the building and search the surrounding areas once everything was secure. And that sounded simple to me. So, and they were like, Dowling, you and Rex, since this is your first time out, just stay in one of the Humvees. Once we say it's secure, get out and do your thing. And I was like, okay. And um, I go, but however, the person that told me that didn't go on this mission for whatever reason. So I go in the Humvees with these Marines. I'm headed out there. This is like zero two in the morning. And we go to this safe house, and the Marines are, we're, we're, we go and we drive behind this little dirt alley. They're dropping off, the, the Marines are dismounting, and the staff sergeant in charge says, Dark team, come with us. And I was like, Staff sergeant, I was told to stay in the vehicle. <laughs> and he's like, Get the fuck off the vehicle. <laughs> yes, and, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I jump right off. The Humvees are gone, and here I am with like about a dozen Marines. And the hard mom idea, like, you know, felt feeling really vulnerable, never been outside the wire. This is my very first time out in the middle of the night. And I'm with my dog Rex and I have a little mesh um, muzzle on him. So Rex, because Rex was something, he wasn't a big barker, but he could bark. And so I put a mesh muzzle on him, which he was used to. Um, it wasn't like a heavy leather one or anything. It was just a really simple one that you can snap on, snap off real quick. And so I had that on him and he was just looking at me the whole time. And, you know, dogs know, like they just know when shit's going down. They, they get it. Like they have a sixth sense. They know when things are real. And, you know, he'd look to me for guidance in terms of like, what's going on. Just like, show me how to act. And so we're standing there and they're like, okay, he goes, there goes that building. You can see the building in the distance and right. And there was some barbed wire, uh, right where we were standing on the side of the road. And he's like, let's cut through the wire. Let's get there. Move. And that was it. The guys cut the wire, made a little hole, and bam, these guys were full-on sprint. Like, they knew what they were doing. These guys knew what the fuck they were doing. Like, it was, I was observing, like, professional Marines do their thing. And I was just trying to keep up. And I was running with them with Rex. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This was a big palm grove. Like, we had a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. And we're doing a full sprint. And as I'm running, um, a pack of wild dogs is hanging out in this palm grove. And I could oh, see fun. the reflection in their eyes with the moonlight. And they're getting, they see the Marines, but then they see Rex. And these wild dogs start, you know, they were like standing up and watching us. But as soon as they saw Rex, they started, they didn't like full on sprint, but they were like running over. And um, I, I, I saw them, and I immediately saw this, and I grabbed the Marine, and I was like, hey, hey, hey. He's like, what's up? This is while we were running. I'm like, I can't, get the, I can't let those dogs get close to us. And he understood right away. So he got in between me and those pack of dogs that were creeping up on us, and they were getting really close. And, um, and Rex saw them as well. And Rex, well, he's not friendly towards other dogs, and he was wanting to get after them. So here I am trying to run, trying to avoid these dogs, trying to get my Rex stay focused, you know, and, um, and he was 
clawing at his muzzle. This is when he started clawing and it was just holding us up. And I had no choice but to take off the muzzle because he was just kind of really kind of wanting to get it off. And I got it off and I just kind of grabbed his mouth shut and said, quiet, quiet, quiet. And um, because I didn't want him to bark and give away our position. And, um, and so I did that. He remained quiet. Uh, the Marine kept the dogs back and then they just stopped pursuing us. And now we're focused on what we need to do. So now we're close to the building. And this was a safe house. They were prepared for us. They had concertina wire uh, uh, set up behind the house, with two layers of it. And these Marines, being Marines, knew exactly what they what to do. They just threw a, uh, a, like a rifle or something on top. They, they decompressed it. Someone jumped over. They decompressed it. The Marines just start running and jumping over. Well, I got to get Rex over this concertina wire, this razor wire. And this is where the training, this is where obedience as the foundation of training just really kicks in because we had a six foot wall back at Camp Pendleton that I would train her to jump over and just kind of like, you know, healing just every little basic, like I needed him to be so obedient. And, um, for the most part he was. And so then when it came to getting over that wire, um, he was hesitant. He was hesitant to train and back home at base, he couldn't really get over the six foot wall on his own. He needed a little help. So I trained him to jump off of my knee. And so I did that on this, mission he wouldn't jump it on his own so i put him back put my knee up just like i did back and he ran and jumped off my knee but then he hesitated he didn't get a good jump off of me and i knew that he was going to jump right onto the razor wire so i threw my hands underneath him he landed on my hands uh the marine on the other side of the wire saw this he grabbed him by the collar and i he got cut by the wire just a little bit um but he got pulled over by the other marine i jump over and so now we're ready to help take down this house and what's funny is like as soon as i go over i step into this little cesspool of shit that's behind the house with rags yeah because it's so dark oh. you know like it was just kind of like clumsiness and inexperience at the same time and and um and so then we step in it a little bit we get out and i just take a knee with rex at the heel and i'm watching these marines circle this building they all get in position and they start taking it down and they go in, they bust in the doors, and they do what they do. And I'm just observing this, and there's a couple of Marines out there with me, you know, uh, uh, just pulling security outside of the building. While this is happening, one of the insurgents jumps out the window uh, and takes off running down the street. But it's clear he doesn't have a weapon in his hand. The Marines draw their weapons. They don't shoot him, though. They're telling him to stop. He's not stopping. I clearly see him. Rex sees him. I send Rex. And they're like, can I send the dog? And they're like, yeah, send him. So I say, Rex, watch him, watch him, get him, cut the, um, drop the leash, and Rex is in a full sprint after this, after this guy. He's running down the street. He runs underneath this tiny little flickering street light, and I see that it's a kid. He's like 12, he's like maybe 12 years old. And, um, and Rex, you know, Rex is an ass eater. He will, he will, he's a good, he's a good patrol dog. And, um, and he's fast too. So he's closing ground real fast. And I see that he's a kid. I don't want Rex screwing, you know, jacking this kid up. And so I call him off. And at first, he, at first I say out, out, out really loud. Um, and at first, he, he slows down. He doesn't stop. He just kind of like starts slowing down. And then I was like, out, he uh, sit. And he sits. And I was like, heel. And he like kind of like reluctantly came back. But he out, he outed. He was like the first, it was the perfect example of why we use military dogs. Because if we would have shot that kid, we would have, you can't take that bullet back. And I 
sent the dog. We found out, you know, that he didn't need to be attacked, and I was able to call him off without hurting the kid. And the kid just ran off down the street, had no idea what was about to happen to him, and we let him go. And um, and Rex came back, and then we cleared the, the house, found some weapons, and then we came back home, and we brought some prisoners home with us. And that was my very first mission with Rex. And um, holy shit, it was. <laughs> It was, kind of, it, was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. That's... It was pretty wild. And then and then from that point, and the Marines saw it, though. The Marines saw Rex. They saw us. And um, and they came up to us and said, hey, you guys did good. That was it. That was all I needed to hear. And then from that point on, we were out every day doing patrols and missions. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, you know, how did the, I'm sure the rest of the Marines saw it. And I was going to ask, like, kind of what the reaction was. But, I mean, it, I think it kind of, kind of solidifies why the dog is there. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, he's there mainly as a detection tool for explosives because they ask you, you know, can he find bombs? And your first night out, you have to do a call off on a fucking kid. Holy shit. <laughs> Man. Well, yeah. The best part is that you ask the Marines, hey, can I send the dog? They're like, fuck it, sure. They don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fuck, yeah. why not? Yeah, Just sure. shrug their yeah. shoulders, go for it. <laughs> send they were like, so yeah. let me ask you this. <laughs> You know, the military, different military units have have kind of gone back and forth throughout the years, uh, especially during the global war on terror, as far as how the dogs should be assigned and deployed. Um, I know that the uh, Naval Special Warfare has done the, the kind of pool thing where they, this, this team's deploying, call over to the kennel, get a dog, now you're in this platoon. Um, and then they've gone to, no, no, we take a guy from this platoon, we send him to dog training, then he comes back with the dog. So your experience while you're there, does it just say, it doesn't really matter, Marines are Marines, we can jump in or anywhere, or do you think it'd be, it's better when they're more organically coming from a, a platoon or, or, or a fire team or whatever? Uh, organically, it's probably better. However, I mean, yes, Marines are Marines. I could... I was able to operate with any squad, any company at any given time. However, you know, you build a, a camaraderie, you build a rapport with people that you operate and go on patrols with more often than others, you know? And, um, and so from my perspective at that time, I felt me and Rex could be more effective when we operated with a certain, with, with Marines I felt more comfortable with. And, um, because uh, there are some Marines who just, uh, I, um, like you could just feel like when you fit in and when you don't fit in and stuff like that. And um, I figured out really quick, well, specifically for Rex and I, that because we were there during the, the heat, like it was, it was 100, over 100 degrees almost every day from that point on during the end of spring, early summer. And we did a bunch of day missions and patrols. But I figured out that Rex, of course, will last longer in the night. So we did a, tons of night operations. And then come to find out, there's weapons platoon. Weapons platoons, Marines, they drive around and they patrol in the Humvees with the heavy weapons and roll around the city, respond to calls. So I would go on some foot patrols, but the majority of my patrols were, I was always in the first vehicle of a weapons pl platoon uh, patrol. And I would go and I would last a lot, Rex would last a lot longer off base, riding around and then jumping out and searching when we needed to. Um, and we built a great rapport with those Marines. 
and we worked really well. And, and so I guess to, to, to your point, like I, I just feel like when you have a camaraderie, when you have experience, when you have, um, when you, that background already coming from the platoons to the fire teams, like, I think it's just going to be an easier adjustment, but at the end of the day, Marines are Marines. You should be able to operate with any, any of them as long as you have the training. And so part of that, our, our mission was not just to get out there to see if the dogs could work, but also to report back. So like everything we were doing, we would report back to our kennel master because they wanted up-to-date information so that they can relay it back to the states and say, this is what our dog teams are experiencing. This is what you need to train for. This is the kind of gear you need to get. This gear doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. And then I don't know if you're familiar with the Yuma Proving Grounds, the Yuma Pre-Deployment Training Center in the Marine Corps in uh, Yuma, Arizona. But that whole pre-deployment training spawned from our deployment, from the deployments of the dog teams that were sent in those early years who said we need a specific pre-deployment training scenario for these dog teams. And that's how that ended up getting stood up. Yeah. So did you, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Um, so did you find once word started getting out that, did you get hoard out or was there other Marine units like, no, 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 no. Hey, look, can we borrow this guy? Uh, can we use him? Or was the Tutu like, no, 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 no. This is our guy. He's just staying. Uh, so Tutu was like, no, 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 this is our guy, but I got hoard out within Tutu. <laughs> like Tutu oh, okay. was, you know, like, yeah, like this Tutu had plenty of stuff going on. And, um, uh, they, I was, Rex and I were their only dog team for the entire, you know, five, 600 Marine battalion. And, um, there was constant missions, constant patrols, every little, every day, 24 seven. And so, um, and everyone wanted to, once they knew we were there and we could, and we could, and, and Rex was effective, you know, and by the way, we would go out just to be a psychological deterrent sometimes. Like they would go through some kind of mission where, they were doing some kind of whatever out in the city and they just wanted the dog present, not necessarily to, to search, but they just wanted people to see the dog. Cause there was times where, you know, an IED would go off or whatever. And we would catch these guys. We would catch these insurgents and they would spit in, our, in the Marines faces. They didn't give a shit if they lived or died, but you put Rex in front of them, you put a dog in front of them, then they shit their pants. They did whatever you wanted to, they did whatever you asked. And, um, and so they wanted Rex for that as much as they did for the detection stuff. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and all the dog teams were doing great was, was the word. And so, but I was getting overworked. We were, it was just constant. So I asked our kennel master, I'm like, Hey, if there's, if we can get more dog teams, like I could really use another dog team here. Like if it's a dog team with another unit, that's not seeing as much action Tutu can really use it. And so they did, they sent me another dog team a couple months into deployment to help. And so it was just two of us. But then like all the Marine dog teams were doing so good that the word was out that they wanted a lot more. And the Marines at the time didn't have enough. So they took Air Force dog teams. Air Force dog teams flew out and embedded with Marine Corps units. This is 2004. And um, they were out there just like Marine dog teams were, the Air Force guys. And, um, and they were getting some just like we were. So you went from, can you find bombs to why the fuck are you sleeping in one rotation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah, pretty <laughs> I mean, there's rarely a yeah. tool that in the military or in law enforcement that works so well that people are like, God damn, why didn't we think of this sooner? But <laughs> it's pretty interesting that you're like, that they're like, no, no, you're staying here with us, but you're going to go work with everybody here. So <laughs> I'm still, 
I'm still friend. I'm still really good friends with those Marines from two, with some of those Marines from two, two that I served with back then. And, um, in fact, one of them loved Rex so much that when he got back to the States, he got a German shepherd, um, because of Rex. And, and I'm still, and that dog is still alive. He's like 15 years old at this or 14 years old, but the dog is still alive. I've gone to go meet and see him. And, and, um, and he was like, the, he was like, Rex saved our lives. I wanted to get a dog that reminded me of him. And he went and he got this dog. And, um, you know, I had some really interesting, like general Mattis, I was told me that. So when the, how I got to Fab Mamadia with Tutu is, an, is another story. Like, we were so like, uh, like kind of vagabond Marines. Like when we got there, no one knew what to do with us, how to get us to places or anything like that. We literally, they would say, okay, we want, Dowling, we want you with this unit. Well, where is that? In this city, way down on my way. How do I get there? I don't know. Figure it out. I literally had to hitchhike on the convoys that were headed in the direction that I needed to get to, to get to the base. I literally hitchhiked. I walked up to convoys and said, what direction are you headed? Can my dog and I come? And, um, and one of the, the convoy that went from Camp Fallujah down to Mamadia was General Mattis's convoy. He was uh, going to do a morale-type visit to these bases south of Baghdad. And I jumped on his convoy that morning. Got to, they dropped me off at Mamadia. I never met. I didn't meet Mattis that, uh, at that time. But Mattis went down, visited the bases, came back to Mamadia later in the day. By that time, I'd been there a few hours getting settled then I'm walking around the corner and here goes General Mattis walking right at me with his, you know, with some of the Marines that he's with. And I immediately pop to attention. Rex is with me. I put him at the heel. I salute. And he says, holy shit, we have dog teams. It's about time. You guys are the first dog team I've seen out here. And he goes to pet Rex and I stop him. I say, sir, I'd love for you to pet him. He's trying to attack. I don't want him. I don't want to risk him biting you. And he starts laughing and he's like, and he was like, oh, well, that's good to go. You just make sure he bites the right ass out here. We're looking forward to what you guys do. And that was it. And that was just, you know, it's just kind of like these little – and General Dunford, well, at the time, he was Colonel Dunford. He was the one that gave us dog handlers a brief in Ramadi when we first got there. So, like, looking back, I had all these really unique, interesting interactions that, you know, today these guys, all these Marines I looked upon as – legends you know <laughs> yeah funny story mattis when uh i did that to him he bit me so <laughs> don't, don't with all due respect sir don't touch him <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly right yeah how do you tell yeah. how do and you tell fucking home. general mattis fuck around and find out and like you're like well <laughs> he, he laughed about it he was actually really excited about it that we had patrol dogs in, uh, in country and um yeah, he was excited about it. And then I get home and, and um, you know, we survived the deployment. We went through a lot of stuff and we saw everything. Like we saw, we had, you know, IEDs went off, found IEDs, found weapons caches, RPGs. RPGs were shot at our vehicle. We had a, sn- a sniper shot at Rex. Um, like shit was happening. And Rex was great. So great. He was so great through all of it. So our first firefight, he just looked at me. He's like, what do I do? And, um... I'm so fortunate and feel so lucky. Everything you hear about Rex is true. He is great. We come back to Pendleton, and uh, I ultimately decided to get out of the Marines. And Rex, Rex, Rex went on to get handled. So I was his first handler. He was handled by 10 handlers total. I was his first. He went on to serve Shit. with 10 handlers. 
And um, he did 10 years in the Marine Corps, served with 10 handlers over that time. He did my deployment with me, and then he went on to do two more deployments with a handler after me. They were blown up. He survived that, stayed in the Marines. He did presidential security, and he stayed in the Marines and, and retired and passed away. And, and I'm just really lucky and thankful. So when the book came around, uh, you know, I never, I had no intention of writing a book. I know I'm... Um, but I had this co-author, I had an author reach out to me, talk to me about my story, and he had written books before. I read some of them. I liked them. And um, and he he said, how much do you love Rex? And I said, I love him to death. I'd give my life for him. He said, well, this book can honor him forever. How does that sound? And I said, that sounds good. I had no idea about books. I had no idea about book deals, how it worked. I didn't even know it would get published. I thought this was like a self-publishing type situation or whatever. I, I was so naive at the time. And then um, um, it was really therapeutic. The whole process was just writing my experiences about with Rex, just kind of like being able to kind of get that out of my system and share that. And um, that's kind of how all that happened. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, what a story. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the book called? Uh, it's called Sergeant Rex: The Unbreakable Bond Between a Marine and His Military Working Dog. Yeah, that's uh, I've got it pulled up right here in front of me, and every, you can get it at like I'm thinking, get it like Amazon. You can get it everywhere. You can get it on Kindle. It looks like it's pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, I have it yeah. downloaded on my phone. I'm gonna read it when we go to Indiana when I fly up there, so I don't get coronavirus. I'll just be stuck in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> It's got to be kind of a weird thing where, uh, and and maybe not really, although is that uh, you have a famous dog. People are like, and you are who? And you're like, yeah, I'm (laughs) Rex's handler. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. Mr. What was it? Oh, yeah, Rex. Yeah, You have a famous dog and then you can get lost in it. (laughs) When we interviewed Dave, Pepper's handler, a lot of the guys from the 160th would find him years later and they were like, you're Pepper's handler. And he's like, yeah, I (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I am. So <laughs> it's kind of the same thing you with know, one of my buddies, the ranger handler. So he's he's Lakers handler. They're like, oh, you're Lakers handler. He's like, yeah, yep, I'm Lakers handler. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, and I appreciate all these all those handlers you just in their teams. I've seen a lot of that stuff that's out there, and and you know, it's when I went into the Marines, I had no idea dogs existed in the military. Now everybody knows how valuable they are. They hear these stories. They learn that they're putting their lives on the line every day. People like you guys who help train them to be what they are, like it's such a, a team process, and it's out there. They're not. They're no longer un, um, uh, unrecognized heroes. You know, there's monuments towards them, and that's all good. That's all great stuff um, because people need to know how great they are, and they they don't. You know. They just want to be loved and rewarded and praised. That's it. And they're such a great animal. They're so great. They're like I, I miss it so much. Talking to you guys makes me miss it a lot. Um, and I, it's the greatest job in the world. If anybody has ever any doubt of wanting to be a handler or not, like just do it. It's the greatest experience having, you know, another animal's life that you're responsible for and who's responsible for your life in return. And um, it was just a great experience and coming back to Pendleton and being able to just kind of share my experiences with the handlers that were there and help them however I could or whatever. And, and when you talk about, Oh, you were a Rex, so you're a Rex, whatever, you know, like 
I'm really tight with the handlers I served with and, you know, the people who I love and know and respect and the other dog teams and handlers that I was with, like, they all know. Like, that's all I need. I don't need any validation from anybody else um, about anything. So um, it's all good, you know? Yeah, I get it. It makes a ton of sense. So um, do you have, do you have like a website, um, social media and things people could like follow you at? Sure. It's just Mike Dowling. It's Mike Dowling Instagram, Mike Dowling Twitter. That's about it. I'm not as active as I used to be. I don't really have a website. Um, well, I, I do. It's a static web. Officialmikedowling.com is just to make it easier to purchase the book. Um, you can go to Official Mike Dowling. And, um, and that's it. Yeah. Now I just, I work in entertainment. I moved to LA. I wanted to do something completely different in my life. So funny enough, I work in entertainment. I help produce videos and digital media and Got to work on some cool projects since being out here. I need to get you hooked up with Melnick. Have you met him yet? <laughs> the, yeah, he's, Justin Melnick. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Melnick yep, yep. is a really – he's been on the podcast, a really good friend of ours. Uh, in fact, we were just out in California, and uh, we're up at his house eating steak. <laughs> like, he uh-huh. had some fucking barbecue thing going. And, uh, yeah, so Dietz. We he's great. Dita. He's, yeah. He, he's great. I've, I've, yeah, I've met him several times. He's spoken. I help with, so I stay involved in the canine world here in Southern California. Like there's groups that put on events for dog handlers and teams and units. And I like to just support them and be present at whatever they ask of me. And so, you know, and, and Justin was, has spoken at some of those events and um, I've been fortunate to speak at some of those and recommend speakers and stuff like that. So it feels good to kind of, stay in touch and keep it staying involved and being accessible to people who want to learn and understand. So, yeah, he, and Melnick's a good dude and he, he's still a cop. Um, and you know, he's got his, definitely his heart in his head in the right place. I love that guy. But, uh, yeah, no, when you said you're in entertainment, I'm like, well, shit, you've got to know fucking Justin. So <laughs> everybody knows Dita. And if you don't, you know, the dog, they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The dog from SEAL Team. Yeah, that's her. Um. <laughs> yeah, and they're no joke. Justin's no joke. He's the real deal. He goes. Oh yeah. Done the, he does the. He does the training. He's, he's probably done more badass training than I got to do when I was in the Marines. You know. Oh, I know. He's um, yeah, jumping out of fucking yeah. helicopters and yeah, I know. Yeah, you were doing <laughs> homemade karate back then. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You and your boys um, in the garage just making shit up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. We were making things up as we go. Well, if you guys are ever out in LA, like I never want to connect anytime that's all good i'm here oh i'm sure we'll i'm sure we'll be out there sooner than later uh you know and of course the lapd guys we know gooseby pretty well he's going to come on the podcast at some point probably in the next couple weeks so um yeah that would yeah so man it's been a great interview um well everybody listening make sure you go check out the website go to amazon go to the website look for the book sergeant rex an unbreakable bond between a marine and his military working dog from mike dowling um eric where can we find you Van S Canine on Instagram for the police stuff. Van S Canine Academy on Facebook for the pets. And of yep. course, uh, on Patreon, Working Dog Radio is our Patreon account. Yep. What and about you? Ted underscore Summers on the Instagram. And then uh, we have the Working Dog, or Working underscore Dog underscore Radio on the Instagram for the podcast. And then the Facebook page is just Working Dog Radio. Um, we do contests and stuff in there from some of our sponsors to give stuff away. Uh, so if you're listening, go over there both of those like them go subscribe and listen uh follow us on itunes or on google play whichever one you're downloading this one on or on spotify you can do that too now um be sure to rate like and review. Rate, rate and review um and then yeah so mike man it's been freaking awesome excellent excellent um 
excellent story and a great interview. It was cool to hear the evolution of can you find bombs to why are you sleeping in one episode? <laughs> right? <laughs> Be yeah. good at your job. Yeah. Be good at your job, and they'll keep making you do it. <laughs> That's right. They absolutely will. And it's the weird. dogs love to do it. So Yeah. Well, man, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah. So everybody listening, we'll talk to you soon. We'll be back. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. One of the groups that's been with us since the beginning are the guys from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania that also host the Bravo 3 conference. Uh, that is Tripwire Operations Group. They have tons of stuff that goes boom. And they are a fantastic training facility for explosives and training of everything related to it for America's first responders, not just for police and military, but also for first responders. So head over to tripwireops.com to hit them up and see what classes they got going on. Um, and then be sure to come and see Eric and I at Bravo 3 this year in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in October. So our very first sponsor on the podcast was Arno out at uh, ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. Uh, the other day on a Facebook group, uh, somebody asked on there, what's what's the best hidden sleeve on the market? Uh, without a doubt, it, is ALM's hidden sleeve. There's probably 10, 15 people on that post and there got in there, ALM, ALM, ALM. It is so easy. His stuff is so good. Arno's a good dude, man. If you get a hold of him, that's the guy answering the phone. That's the guy doing all the work. ALMK9Equipment.com. I have a suit from there. Best hugs on the market. Not even close. The best hugs on the market and the best hidden sleeve. Hit up Arno, ALMK9Equipment.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO. That's all capitals for 10% off your first order. You know, one of the things about this podcast that everybody mentions that they love is the intro and exit music. And it was kind of a uh, big deal when we started the podcast to have that. And I want to say thank you personally to Brother Deeg, um, who is the artist and has graciously allowed us to use this music. And everybody be sure to head over to Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net, uh, buy a t-shirt or go to Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever and stream his music or go and buy some. Um, he's on tour all the time. He plays Tulsa frequently. Um, I love to see him when he's here. Uh, fantastically talented artist from Louisiana uh, and has graciously allowed us to use his music. So enjoy it. Download more of it. Um, Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Go hit him up, guys. Thanks. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.